Welcome to A Ghost Stories. I'm Gabby. I'm Kim. And we're here to talk to you about all of the amazing ghost stories of Seattle and Tacoma and Washington and all those great places that are around us. But we are actually part of A Ghost, which are the advanced ghost hunters of Seattle and Tacoma. And we're here to bring you evidence. Evidence. Well, maybe not as much evidence in this episode. <laughs> you less but, but, today, but a cool story. Very, very cool story. Very awesome story. More of a true crime story, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's a huge part of the history of Seattle. Yeah, and it really is. If you don't know about it, you're you're sleeping. Because you gotta wake up and, and hear <laughs> it's notorious. It's locally extremely notorious. And it's actually considered to be a very uh ambiguous haunted spot. Like a lot of yeah. people don't know full evidence because this particular location has not been allowed to have like any investigators in it for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and it's in what we call now the international district, um, which was once called Chinatown, but we like to be PC. So they renamed it the international district. But what we're talking about today is the Wami massacre. Um, Kim, I know you've known about this story for a long time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm local too. I grew up local. And um, I have a great story about this myself. Uh, I found out about the Wami massacre because uh, my boyfriend used to live across the street from this location and never told me about it until we yeah, went awesome. on. Right. And then we went on a ghost tour um, on one of my first visits. And it's the driving tour that I talked about a long time ago on another episode and it was hilarious because we had to bus all the way from the international district to South Lake Union which takes like a while <laughs> that's, that's a long bus ride that's like an hour <laughs> bus ride but i'm sure on a lift it would have taken like 20 minutes 30 Wait, from the international district to South Lake Union yeah if traffic's not bad that's like a 5 minute car bus? ride oh i was going to say well oh yeah no bus it's See that there's no good. There didn't used to be any good direct routes. No, is and the public transportation was the way that we were functioning. It was like the first bus ride I had ever been on, and I was very <laughs> weirded out by busing because as a Los Angelian, oh um, yeah, you don't do public. We don't do public <laughs> transportation in Los Angeles. Uh, my mother made me very wary of that from a very young age. Uh, but anyway, we took the bus all the way to South Lake Union to get on a van and drive literally right back to his apartment and I was freaking out I was like oh my god your apartment is on the haunted tour and you didn't <laughs> even tell me and I'm freaking out and I'm like whacking him going Terrence you didn't tell me this and he's like kind of freaked out because he didn't even know he's like I don't know he's my building awesome. yeah he's like I know I live in an old building that used to be a hotel but shoot I didn't know Seriously. and we literally park across the street from his hotel get out and walk into an alleyway that's across the street, which isn't shady at all. Like, and, and at this point, <laughs> I'm actually a ghost currently. Um, no, I am not a ghost currently. I'm well and alive. Uh, but what's so interesting about this story is that when we looked at the building um, from the alleyway, you could only see at the time, I think this was like three and a half years ago, four years ago. Right. You could only see the demolished back end of the building down right. to like a basement level. but Because this is post-fire. 
Yes, this is in like 2000. What year is it? It's 2019 currently. So I'm pretty sure it was like <laughs> Kim's dying. I'm pretty sure it was cur- it was like 2016. Don't quote okay. me on okay. it. I don't know years. I lose track of time. Um, but it was a point in time where this building had been vacant for a while and it had been sitting there like vacant the entire time he had lived there, which was for about, I think a year or two, maybe at that point. And there were lots of stories and Mm -hmm. in this neighborhood, um, it's a very heavily Chinese neighborhood. So Chinese culture is very much filled with lore and superstition. And I know that you're going to get to that later, But when we went there, we learned about the Wami massacre. And this happened, I'm just going to give you a quick, like, summary of what it was, and then I'll go into detail and give you some background. So it was a multiple homicide that happened on February 19th in 1983. So this is actually more recent, um, where Willie Mack, Tony Ng, I think I'm pronouncing that right, it's N-G, and Benjamin Ng, they actually were not related, uh, they basically hogtied and uh, execution style shot 14 people in the basement of the Louisa Hotel, which at the time was the Wami Club. And essentially what happened was one person ended up getting out and didn't die, but um, it was a huge, huge ordeal. Um, yeah. It was the deadliest mass murder in Washington state history, which is yeah. and pretty still nuts. Is in terms of um, mass killings, it's still the, the top one. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a summary of what it was, but I want to give you the deets because, you know what, I like to give the deets. <laughs> you do like the deets. I do. So, okay. The Louisa Hotel. That's the building where... Uh, the Wami Club was housed, and it was designed in 1909 by Willitson and Byrne at 665 South King Street between 7th and Maynard. And this is in the International District. So um, the way that it was set up was that it had on the first floor shops, mm-hmm. and they functioned, um, I believe, uh, all the way up until 1970. Um, but above oh, they operated both the shops and a hotel. Yes. Shops, shops, shops and a hotel, um, up until 1970. So the upstairs parts, the top couple of floors were single room occupancy, mm. a single room occupancy hotel. And then below were the shops. And in 1970, there were a bunch of fires that happened because apparently Seattle is just filled with all the fires, as we know from our I previous mean, investigations. We've had, well, because we've also had our fair share of, of really horrible arsons. You know, people like to set the fires in Seattle. They're like, we don't like raid. We want fire. Um, one big McDonald triad. What can I say? It is what it is. Nobody ever learns. But in 1970, they kind of learned because what they did was they changed their um, building codes for safety purposes. So time. Right? It took all the way up until 1970 to do that. I don't know why. I was doing some research and I could not figure out why um, the hotel didn't want to comply with the fire codes. So money. I mean, I would assume money was probably the that's, reason that's why. Usually the, the reason why there's a, uh, a fight against uh, updating a building to certain codes. Cause but it's, 
it's expensive to do that sometimes, especially depending on what the, the code changes would have meant for the building. It could mean completely gutting things. It could be uh, having to, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the conditions were. It was that just that they were changing. tiny. They were tiny rooms. And so I think that mm-hmm. because they were tiny, they f- didn't fit enough space so that because of that, it didn't, I guess, line up with the fire codes. Well, um, so that could mean in general that they wouldn't be able to. Right. They would have to basically fully yeah. redo the building in order yeah. to do that. And, and so that expensive. would cost more money to do that. Sure. But then they also left the building vacant in the top floors for like 30 years, which Ugh. you would think that if you were leaving something vacant and you're not putting money into it, you're probably losing a lot of money too, because now you're not utilizing it as a hotel. Yeah. So, I mean, tomato, tomato. Yeah. yeah. Either way, um, on the bottom floor, they still maintain shops. So some of the shops that were on the bottom floor, there was a pet shop there and actual fun fact, Seattle's first Chinese bakery was on the first floor named the Mon High Bakery. So not there still, but was there at one point. Um, And basement space got a little shady. So we know we like shady shit. We talk about it in multiple episodes. Shady shit. The International District was known for gambling. Um, They were known for doing certain things that you're not supposed to do. And by 1920, when the space was built out in 1909, 1920, they actually opened up two different nightclubs in the basement space. One was called Club Royale and one was called Blue Heaven. And Club Royale was later known as the Chinese Gardens Club, which I love this detail. And I really want to know why they came up with this name. Apparently, they served drinks in huge... um, pails and because they served drinks (laughs) in huge pails it was nicknamed the bucket of blood oh yeah that's what i found out about the the speakeasy yeah yeah and um they actually got shut down in 1931 so this i think is the speakeasy that you were going to talk about yes so i'm just going to pause right here and let you talk about it because when was this rediscovered well, so it was just rediscovered very recently. Uh, the The building suffered a, a very bad fire in 1913. And so as the family started uh, doing some demolition and, and trying to, to renovate it, uh, what they discovered was the side of this speakeasy, which had been suspected for a while to have been there, but they didn't really have uh, definitive... <laughs> They didn't have evidence, um, but it was nicknamed the bucket of blood. Yeah. I, <laughs> love, that I love that so much that like, honestly, that would make me go in somewhere if it was called the bucket of blood. I feel like that should be the name of this episode. It, it should totally be the name of this episode. <laughs> Well, I mean, let's think about it. This episode's coming out in October, right? So it is spooky time. Okay, so we're recording this kind of early. Um, Today is technically... Well, because you're going to be going on a fabulous trip. I am. I'm going to New Orleans. I can't wait. I'm so excited. But (laughs) today's the first day of fall. I know, it's official. (laughs) But what's really cool, though, is that this episode's going to come out closer to halloween 
it is coming out closer to Halloween. So the bucket of blood would be very appropriate. <laughs> um, but yeah, it used to be called the bucket of blood, but it was shut down in 1931. Sad. It, yes, it was. And, and, uh, but one of the things they found, and we'll post some of these pictures to our Instagram is that when they were peeling back wallpaper, they came across these really uh, actually remarkable murals. Rad. And there, uh, there's part of the stairwell that leads down into the club and, they're, they're, they're really amazing. What is amazing to me is that as they were unpeeling the wallpaper, like these have obviously been there a while, but they look really good. That's awesome. For how long they have been hidden. Uh, and as a fun side note, it looks as though Jimi Hendrix's mother worked as a server there. Get out of town. No way. Really? Well, because this was when, um, Seattle had a really big jazz scene. So this was, uh, uh, this was a big, like, not just speakeasy, but, but jazz club. Rad. That's so cool. And so allegedly her, her, uh, or excuse me, um, his mother worked there. So it was, it was, I guess a, a jazz speakeasy, uh, quote, unquote air quotes, <laughs> but what's, what's, interesting is that um it was apparently uh and you can see this depicted in the murals that there are both uh black and white people depicted in the murals so this was a a club that allowed the mixing of races which in 1920s that's Seattle no yeah well that's so cool so i i think the club that you're referring to also, because there were two clubs in Uh the 20s. And Blue Heaven was the other club. And it was actually known to be the melting pot of different ethnicities that would go there for gambling and dancing. So that might have been Blue Heaven, but they were in the same basement space. I don't think so. Because the... the well, the, the source I found, and I'll, I'll send this to you, uh, is from somebody who's writing a book about Prohibition-era Seattle. Huh, cool. And so it's all about the bucket of blood, and <laughs> it has, and it, it has the, the pictures of the murals where you can see the, the different ethnicities of the, of the patrons. Uh, and specifically, it says bucket of blood. Like, it doesn't even mention oh, cool. the other one. So, uh, I guess maybe they both had it then, or this one was also known for it. Maybe they just didn't have any pictures of it. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there's a, there's a picture actually from the club uh, that I'll, I'll send you before it, it closed. So it was raided in 1931. That's one of the reasons why it, it yeah. finally was, it was down. shut down. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, uh, no, it, it all evidence looks like the buck of the blood is the one that's the, that's the only one that's getting named in all of these things about being rediscovered. So I don't, I okay. don't believe that it's the other one. That's such a good name. I love that. I just want to say bucket of blood over oh, and over. Again. O- <laughs> I want to say it like bucket O blood with like bucket an O blood. Jack O lantern bucket. O blood. O- um, but the other one was blue, ha- blue heaven. Uh-huh. Um, that was actually the one that was technically the Wami club. When? And it was renamed Wami Club in the 1950s. And Wami in Chinese stands for beautiful China. 
Mm. which it wasn't so beautiful in the 80s. Uh, <laughs> it was known for high-stakes gambling, and it was fully operated illegally. Um, and at the time, clubs were required to close before midnight, but they didn't. Uh, it was actually raided in 1972, and by the 80s, I guess it stayed open after it was raided, but they followed the rules a little bit better so they wouldn't get raided again. But by the 80s, they had a pretty shady reputation. And it turned more into, like, a dive bar vibe. Um, But gambling stayed, like, a true thing that was going on in this area literally since the 1890s and continued all the way through the 80s, uh, the 1980s. So let's talk shady shit at the lobby. Shady shit. Take a shot. (laughs) Shady shit. Take a shot. Take a Um, shot. So we know what happened at the WAMI. We know about the massacre. Right. Uh, But let's talk about motive. Let's talk about Uh why it happened. Uh So apparently um, Willie Mack was the brains behind the operation and he had been planning it for a really long time and openly talked about it, which I think is pretty wild that he just like chatted about it with people. Palsy. Right. Um, And not only did he talk about wanting to do this, but he like talked about wanting to kill everybody and not leave any witnesses to the crime. So, I mean, maybe he, he was also known to have kind of a shady background, but also I don't know how many people took him seriously. So, right. Well, because people talk and say weird shit. And sure. like, yeah, sure, dude. Especially sure. in that environment, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, yeah. And he actually enlisted Benjamin Ng, who he actually went to high school with, with Benjamin. And I'm going to oh. refer to... Benjamin is as Benjamin versus Ng, so that way we don't get confused between the two people. The with two with the last same names. last names, right? Right. right. Um, so he and Benjamin actually went to high school together and were coworkers at a restaurant called Blaine. So he's known him for a while, um, and they were both actually suspects in prior crimes, and together were suspects in um, a crime of uh, murders of two Chinese women in 1982. So mm. I don't know what came of that, but I know that they were definitely suspects in it. Apparently right. they didn't have enough evidence to um, do anything about it, but they definitely had some, uh, some dirt on their hands. So that was Benjamin and Mac. And then Tony came in, didn't have any relation to Benjamin, but he kind of was forced into this situation. And he and Mac had been gambling, as they did. Right. Um, and he owed Mac $1,000 after gambling with Mac the night before the massacre. And Mac told him, hey, instead of paying me $1,000, why don't you come and partake in this heist with us? You won't have to pay me $1,000. You just have to help us out. Right. And Tony was hesitant. He knew that that was really bad and didn't want to get involved. So he actually borrowed $1,000 from a friend to pay back Mac. And Mac was pissed. He was like, he wasn't having it. He literally Uh. shot a gun, shot a bullet into the floor right by Tony's feet to be like, nah, dude, you don't have a choice. I'm not taking your $1,000. And if you don't do this heist with me and Benjamin, then I'm going to kill you and your girlfriend. 
Shit. And said, if you say anything, I for sure will kill you and your girlfriend. So he basically was forced into it. So Mac was not a cool dude. He was not a nice guy. Not a nice guy. Yeah. No, he, he was pretty crazy. And I actually found pictures of him online, too. So we'll definitely post those pictures. We'll do a lot of photos for this episode because I feel like there's going to be a lot. Because it's a well, more recent one. We have... Yeah, and there's some pretty... Uh, there's some pretty brutal crime scene photos that, that exist. We may this. have to put those on the website. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Those are, those are not the best for the social media, but if we put some of those on the website for those who would like to take a look at them, sure. Um, we can make those available. So let's talk about what happened at this crime scene. Yeah. So it was actually really hard to get into the WAMI yeah. um, club. They had right. a pretty serious security system, and it was common back then to have a double door security system, meaning you have to walk through one door, get checked with someone else, walk through another door, get checked with another person. Right. Um, and apparently the front door could only be locked from the inside oh. and unlocked from the inside, which I thought was weird because then how do you get out? But, you know, that's a question hmm. for another time. <laughs> um, but security with two different doors were known for generations for gambling halls. And mm. it had four different rows of, it's kind of a, an eighties vibe of having those, you know, those big blocks of glass that they would line up and it would be yeah. like four different rows of glass that looked kind of like wavy. So from the outside, you couldn't really see in because of lighting, but when you're on the inside, you could see out. And they had those lined glass cubes outside the front entrance. So oh, okay. whoever okay. was sitting inside security could see who was outside. It would be easier okay. for them to see. So right. um, they had those glass displays. And right. it was pretty secure for the most part. They usually wouldn't let any just anyone in. Um, you had to be known in order to be let in. So... What's interesting with the investigation is that there was no sign of struggle um, okay. and there was no sign of resistance from victims. So what that tells everyone is that Mac and Benjamin and Tony had all been patrons at this particular club. Uh, so they knew that. And knew because them. they yeah. knew them, that's also why Mac was like, I'm not leaving any witnesses. I'm killing everybody because they know who we are. Right. So yeah. that was the thought oh, process behind rough. it. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. Um, so his intent was to leave no survivors, but um, yeah. one survived. Mm. Y. Yok Chin. I hope mm -hmm. I'm pronouncing his name right. He was an older gentleman, um, mm -hmm. and he actually was a club dealer, and he was the <gasps> oh. only survivor. So let's talk about the massacre and how his yeah. involvement was involved. How his involvement was involved. I'm being redundant. <laughs> uh, so at approximately midnight on February uh -huh. 19th, 1983, Willie Mack and Tony and Benjamin came in. Okay. Uh, it was just after Chin's shift had just started. He started just at midnight. And <laughs> they held everyone at gunpoint and then guided them all to the lower level of the club, the basement level. Mm -hmm. Ordered everybody to lay down on their stomachs mm -hmm. and then hogtied. All 10 Ugh. people and mm. emptied their pockets. So at the time, there were only 10 people in there. While all this was happening, four different patrons arrived. 
didn't know what they oh, were getting themselves into no. and were immediately added to the group, had the same thing done to them. Ugh. And when this happened, um, apparently Tony was the one that uh, tied up Y Chin mm-hmm. and <laughs> Chin told him he, he was old, but he was smart. He right. said, you know, you don't no need to tie so tight. I'm an old man. Told him to loosen his ties. Uh, smart. And Tony was like, yeah, he's old. It's fine. Right? It's fine. So it's fine. Oh, this is fine. Smart, We're fine. Though. Yeah. And um, then everyone was shot execution style, mm-hmm. which from behind, as you know, it's mm-hmm. not the greatest, uh, yeah. not the best way to go. But apparently every person was shot twice in the head. And well, the double tap. I mean, you do the. The one, then the second. That way you know you're what's, good. What's terrifying about that, though, is, I mean, even if they were all doing it, uh, you know, the three of them or whatever were each doing doing a person at a time, like, you're sitting there waiting to be shot in the back yep. of the head. And yep. that, I, I can't fathom what that's nope. like. And actually, all three of them were not doing it. Oh. So what happened, so it makes it even worse. <laughs> um, so... Everyone was shot execution style. Chin was shot in the neck and in the jaw. So mm. he wasn't as affected. It didn't go through his brain. Um, mm. And but So he immediately went unconscious but wasn't dead. But wasn't um, dead. And but would look dead but for looked, all sure. intents purposes if you weren't checking. Exactly. For pulses, yeah. Totally. So after Tony originally had tied up the patrons before anyone was shot, he was actually told to take all the money that was gathered from everyone's pockets and from the club and go mm-hmm. across the street. So at this point, Tony took all the stuff and left. So mm. he was outside. He didn't partake in the killings. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mac and Benjamin were the ones that did the killings. Mm-hmm. And at 12.45 a.m., everything had been done. Mm-hmm. Chin regained consciousness Staggered outside, found people on the street, called the cops and got help. Mm. Um, The totals, I have a list of totals for you. So on the scene, 12 people were dead. One person was sent, well, two people were sent to the hospital, including Chin. One of them died at the hospital due to Mm. his injuries. Right. Only survivor was Chin. There were a total of 32 shots fired. 26 of the shots were from the same gun. Oh, jeez. So that tells you that the same person yeah. did most of it. So and I feel like we know who that was. It was probably Mac, yeah. Willie Mac. Yeah. Um, so after this happened, you know you have a survivor. Mm-hmm. So something's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to find out. So the WAMI was closed for good. It never reopened. Um, yeah, that's understandable. Chin actually, because of multiple assassination threats, um, prosecutors were forced to depose him on video before the trials so that he wouldn't be murdered. Oh, jeez. But he actually lived to the ripe age of 71 Mm. and died in May of 1993 of natural causes. Um, Mm. So he survived it. But Chin did identify Benjamin and Mac. Right. He didn't see... Tony, apparently. Um, But Benjamin was arrested immediately. Mm -hmm. But before Matt could be arrested, he fully was like, I did it. 
he went and he turned himself in and wow. he like literally the second he received a phone call saying that Benjamin was arrested, he just went in and, and admitted he did everything. And he wow. took, he took full responsibility for all of the killings and that he wow. killed everybody. Tony freaked uh, out. Tony right. had a moment where he was like, I didn't do this. I never wanted to be involved. Get me out of here. I love this story about Tony because I I guess I'm weird, but whatever. I think it's hilarious. (laughs) He immediately fled to Canada when he heard that 13 people died. Before he even heard that, like, his friends, friends, quote unquote, got caught. He (laughs) was like, bye, I'm going to Canada. Peace out, bye. Yes. And so on June 15th, this is my this is the best fun fact. June 15th, <laughs> 1984. So this is a year a year not even a yeah, a little bit over a year later. They still couldn't right. find him. Oh no way. And Tony was on he was number 387 listed on the FBI's 10 most wanted fugitives list. <laughs> and was arrested in October of 1984. So it didn't last long after he was on that list. Wow. Um, he ended up being convicted of 13 counts of first degree robbery and mm-hmm. a single count mm-hmm. of assault with a deadly weapon, um, mm. and was sentenced to 13 life terms, but eligible for parole in 2010. But w- mm. what was wild is he was eligible for parole in 2010, ended up going mm-hmm. to a different prison. Okay. And then in 2014 was transferred to Tacoma and was put in the hands of basically ICE and sent back to Hong Kong, deported to Hong Kong. Oh, wow. In 2014. Huh. And then, so that's Tony. Tony had a, had a run for it, literally. Um, Mac, on the other hand, Willie Mac, he's the baddest of the bad. Hmm. So on October 6th in 1983, Mm -hmm. he was convicted of uh, 13 counts of aggravated first-degree murder and one count of first-degree assault and sentenced to death on October 22nd. Ah. This is interesting because, as you know, huh. in Washington, the death penalty not... is not a thing. Well, not as of 2018 officially, but yeah. Yeah. So what happened was there were some back-and-forth sentences. Oh. And it literally went on for 20 years, which is bonkers. Oh, no way. Yeah. And in 2002, a uh, King County Superior Court judge ruled that Mac would not face the death penalty. And hmm. this is why. <laughs> this is bonkers. Okay. <laughs> because in uh, 1983, the jury wasn't asked to determine how much of a role he had in the crime. Like, what? What? That's crazy to me. But he wasn't. What? Yeah, it's nuts. Oh, the system. Um, but he was wow. sentenced to life. So he's still in prison. To this day. Well, um, that's something at least. Yeah, huh. right? Now let's talk about our friend Benjamin. Okay. He was convicted on 13 counts of aggravated first-degree murder and sentenced to life without possibility of parole. So, mm-hmm. you know, he and Mac went to high school together. They mm-hmm. worked together. <laughs> and now they're in jail for the rest of their lives. Well, that's um, good. But what's kind of interesting is when I was doing this research, I, I was under the impression when I heard the stories about this that all three of them were deported to Hong Kong. Oh. And I didn't know that only one of them was deported to Hong Kong. Well, because I I remember through the years periodically seeing when one of them would come up for, 
I don't know, parole or something would pop up in the papers about them. So uh-huh. I knew that some of them were still here. I just didn't realize that it was all, uh, all but, but the one. Yeah. Huh. So that's the massacre. That's the results of the massacre. That's what happened. But the history right. of this place does not end there. Mm. Um, in 2013, on Christmas Eve, there was another fire. Yeah. We like um, to burn things down here. You know, all those arsons. <laughs> it's basically uh, a uh, ho- hobby. <laughs> Arsonist's paradise. Seattle. Um, allegedly. So there's a few stories. It's my favorite word. Um, There's a few different stories about this. And when I first heard about it, I heard that there was an electrical fire. But the upper floors. Yeah, I think that's what I've heard before, too. Right? The upper floors had been vacant and, like, unused for many, many years. So that doesn't make sense for electrical, then. Exactly. So Uh, how does one have an electrical fire Mm -hmm. if there is no electricity? And How indeed. So we as paranormal investigators know that electricity is something that we look for. Like with e- EMF detectors, right? Mm-hmm. That detects electricity. Huh. If there's enough energy in something, it can spontaneously combust. You never know, right? True. You so can't is your prove theory it that wrong. it's that the that the the uh <laughs> fire was started by by ghosts it could be because guess what (laughs) in all the research that i did it didn't specify how the fire started they literally had no proof in how the fire started at all i did all this crazy research for this and there was no evidence 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 of any fire starting arsonists The, the ghosts are arsonists. People in Seattle love arson so much that even when yeah. they die, they start fires. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they the top three fours had literally been secured and padlocked. Like nobody could even get in. So they've been not only just abandoned, but locked up to the point where no one could get in. So you're not going to have, you know, your homeless people getting up there. There was no way to get in. Yeah, and yeah. it... Literally affected the building so badly that um, the innards of the of the fire or of the um, building were demolished. So that's what I was saying when I went and saw it. This was post fire. This was post fire, right? Right. And so it left the back end of the building's innards visible via the alley, but the storefronts were preserved and they were kept that way as part of its contribution to the Chinatown historic district up until recently. So Ah. it was left unoccupied and abandoned from 2013 to 2018 Okay, for the bottom floor. But as we just mentioned, the top two to three floors were vacant for over 30 years. Um, And this is when they did the demolition and excavation of the speakeasy that you were talking about. Right. And that's when they found the murals on the walls when they peeled back the wallpaper. And in this, this last June, this year, Mm -hmm. uh, June of 2019, 85 apartments were opened and storefronts were fully redone and Hmm. uh, remodeled for new business. There are brand new businesses there now. There are storefronts that are open for sale currently. I actually went there a couple of months ago and was blown away about 
like how it looked because right. it's it looks fully completely different. So they completely got rid of the original setup of the building, which we'll post pictures of, um, and now it just looks really nice and new, as does most of Seattle that's been knocked down and rebuilt. Um, yeah, but this is one of those times where I I kind of understand completely changing it mm-hmm. a little bit. I mean, like when you have something that tragic happen. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the same reason you have like the, the schools that get completely knocked down after a tragedy or the homes that get completely demolished after some kind of mass killing. Like people are going to be uncomfortable there. Um, no matter what I think, although I am curious, I would be really curious to talk to anyone involved in the construction about whether or not they noticed any activity. Totally. And since it's changed, if any of these businesses have noticed any activity. So that would be an interesting thing to follow through with, with reaching out to some of them now that there are people to reach out to. Cause we were, well, we were talking about this, uh, before we started recording, um, because they were not allowing people to go in, no one's done an investigation there. Right. And that's meant that uh, the reports we have for any kind of activity are very limited. Right. I mean, we have more information about like storytelling and lore and Chinese culture and superstition more than anything. Um, And I think a lot of that stems from the culture of that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And it's like even when I visited before they redid it. We were told stories about how people wouldn't even walk or enter the alley that we were standing in because yeah. it was like a bad omen, essentially, to be there. And whoever walks through that alley will have an impending doom of death coming. I think that's what that sound is. <laughs> it sounds like a helicopter is landing on my roof. I'm oh, sorry. I can't hear it. You're good. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it like, apparently it was bad juju to walk through that alleyway. And so especially older people would yeah. not walk through that alley because they were scared that they were going to die if they did because of the bad energy that's there. So that is like a superstitious moment of Chinese lore. But also I thought this was really funny. Apparently if, um, you see nail clippings around. It's a sign that there's a ghost and people wow. would find a bunch of nail clippings in the alley. But this is all hearsay. This is allegedly. allegedly. Um, and so, I mean, that could tie into the spirits of whatever is left there. And also <laughs> when, if people were to walk through, if you make the decision, I want to die soon, I'm going to walk down this alley. <laughs> they would have chicken feet and chicken parts dropped onto them from above. Oh. And ah, I there's a lot of restaurants over there. So like for me the the debunker in me wants right. to be like someone's just literally taking parts they don't want and dumping it out the window and freaking right. out some old lady. Like that's <laughs> what that true. sounds like to me, but right. you never know, right? We can't we can't prove it. This isn't something mm. I've like physically seen myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely talk of that too. Mm. But yeah. Cause, um, most of what 
I found about um, actual reports of the paranormal there are more to do with uh, uh, indoors, uh, some sort of residual haunting of the shooting itself. Ooh. Uh, so I did a little digging into what's been reported. And again, um, the lack of people being there means there is a distinct lack of, of stories. Uh, and that ties back into also that, that people do not want to be there. Um, but there is a belief that a lot of the people who were killed that night still linger. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, which, which also goes with what we know about residual or anniversary hauntings, which is, is traumatic things can cause that release of, of energy that creates that residual haunting. Uh, people avoid the building, as you mentioned. Uh, they, they do report hearing strange noises coming from the building, specifically the sound of gunfire. Well, duh. Yeah. Residual for that, for but sure. How, how terrifying would that be? I mean. To, like, late at night to be walking in the International District and hear screams and hear gunfire. And if you, you go to look and, and it's coming from an, a building and when you when you look in the window, it's abandoned. Yeah, that's kind of scary. That's scary. Uh, they'll They'll hear again. They'll hear the sounds of screams. Um, they'll hear, uh, and see shadows, like they'll see shadowy figures sometimes. And there's a report of a face that's frequently seen in the window. No, thank you. Yeah. I really am curious to see what happens with all these apartments that are opening up. Me too. (laughs) Like, I feel like it's a little bit of like a ghostly time capsule. This is the first time since this happened that there is an opportunity to really see if we're dealing with, again, a strictly residual haunting and whether or not there's still, that's still really going to exist with all of the changes that have been done, because it's possible with, with all of this construction and reconstruction and the fire that, uh, some of this residual energy has, has dissipated. Yeah. And if there's any sort of intelligent haunting that is there, because nothing I've really seen other than possibly the face in the window, but that could also be a residual haunting. So nothing I've seen or read has spoken of an intelligent haunting, but part of that really is we've not had people. We don't have proof. We don't have proof because no one's no one's been in the building. So well, I'm, they haven't been allowed. So no. like to your point earlier, like it's hard to get that if you don't have access to it. Exactly. But you I'm, can speculate, but speculation sure. again is not evidence. Not evidence. Sure isn't. Uh, there is definitely more juju around this this location. Oh yeah, energy. energy yes. Of course. And so I think that like that's something that anyone can feel when they walk by, but. A lot of people, I feel like now, especially that it's been redone, don't even know about it. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to who live in Seattle that have never even heard of it. And it's not that long yeah. ago that this happened. It's like oh, it's a little over thirty almost, years ago. Yeah, it's like I almost forty-five, thirty-six. Oh, yeah, God, that's making me feel so old right now. Uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. Um, fun fact: your favorite ghost show did a bit of an episode oh, on this. God. Um, Honestly, I should have watched it before doing this episode, but should I really should, I, any, should I mean, anyone. They briefly talk about this location being one of the most haunted spots in Seattle. 
Um, okay, so that right there, their credibility is shit. Right. Because they cannot say that. We do no, not. No, we don't know. And so, I, that, oh, that kind of thing. I'm sorry. Like, as an investigator, <laughs> that kind of thing. All like, right, here she goes. <laughs> here she goes. Are y'all ready? Kim's about to go. She's seen me go on these rants before, but I just, like, it, it comes down to reputation, too. Like, all we have is history and facts and evidence. And if we can't even have something really basic like that, like nobody's been in this building, nobody has been in this building to investigate. We do not know. You cannot say it's the most haunted place in the city of Seattle. You assholes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> um, sorry. Don't just, even it, get her started on a, what is a serial killer? Cause that's a really, that could be a whole other situation. That's, that's for another time. That's for but another it, but, time. I mean, I'm not wrong. No. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> I might I might like I go on these rants but they're usually you know rooted in reasoning. It's rooted in truth. It's rooted um, in truth, damn it. But you know, and that kind of goes back to when we talk about ghost shows that it's all entertainment. Like they want to be able to course, speak to it. Yeah. And you like know, I, this is entertainment. Podcasts are yeah. entertainment, but we like to give you actual information and tell you that what we did was fully research these topics and find truth in them. And we can't say that like, this is a fully haunted place. It would not surprise me if it was super duper haunted. Uh, I don't know how a fire started. That's weird. Yeah. Um, And that, and that you're, I, I was, I was doing a little digging and yep, there's they all say we're still not sure how it happened. So yeah. you never know. If you have a fire department come in and investigate how a fire started and they can't even figure it out, that's weird. That's, that's weird. something that could be potentially used as evidence to say that something otherworldly could have started this, um, but also doesn't say that it for sure did. So you never know. But and this place is super have- haunted. Well, and when you have this kind of history associated with a place, like I, I feel like when we're digging into the history of some of these places, uh, going back a little to what you said about the energy of the place, like we are very open to the power of suggestion. It is one of the reasons when we investigate, uh, we are not given uh, the team that's going in. We are not told about what we will be investigating. In fact, we don't usually even know the address. And part of that is because as soon as you say weird things happen, we start looking for those weird things. As soon as you say the dining room gets cold, we're going to walk in the dining room and be like, Oh, you're right. It's colder in here. Uh, and so, what I'm curious about what you were saying about people not even realizing the history now, because you've got younger generations who did not grow up with this uh-huh. and this being story, this being lore, will they have the same experiences or without that emotional attachment to like remembering, because I was too young to remember when this happened. Like full disclosure, I was far, far, far too young when this first happened. Uh, I was alive, however, <laughs> but I was like a year old. I was not. You were not. Yeah, it's because I'm older. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Um, but I, I definitely grew up hearing the story. I knew the story. Um, you, you can't know that kind of story about a place and not attach something to it. Especially so, with all the like Chinese 
um, superstition. Oh yeah. On top of it, like add that in, and well, particularly because the the modern uh, looking into the history of of ghosts in Chinese culture, and actually the first recorded stories uh, were ghost stories. Um, they were the earliest form of literature in ancient China, which I just think is awesome. I'm like, I'm all right. But, uh, in, and and ghosts are taken very seriously in modern day China. There is a belief that ghosts only have the power to harm you if you believe in them. But in ancient China, they were a reality. There's a, a really fabulous article about it, uh, that we will, we will post in our sources, on our website, but that goes a little bit more into depth about uh, the history of, of ghosts in Chinese culture. And it, it it's really interesting, the differences in ghosts in different cultures. Um, but anyway, that's a no, tangent. I mean, I like that tangent because it's true. Like, regardless of what culture you come from, you're going to have another perspective, right? right? And with, I mean, I could only imagine living in that neighborhood, growing up in that neighborhood, Right. Having that happen there is yeah. so traumatic, but also it stays with you. Like, yeah. how could it not? Especially if that's your culture. And if you're told as a small child by your parents, like, stay away, do not go near there, that can also manifest your own imagination of things that you think oh, are yeah. happening there. Of course. And so, you know, it is what it is, but. Do with it what you will, but it's a cool topic. It's a like ghost story or not. It's a a really interesting topic, and it's a true crime and one situation. That remember, yeah, yeah, and the fact that someone got out and was able to identify these horrible people. Poor old Tony yeah. is back in Hong Kong, but he's far, far away from all this stuff. But you know, yeah. it's being at the wrong place at the wrong time, and. Yeah. It's part of, unfortunately, the dark history of Seattle. And it's just as bad as some people say it is. It's worse than what other people say it is. You know, it's something that we all live with, but it's something that we can also think about how it affects the people in that neighborhood now. And um, maybe, just maybe, we can make a connection with someone who runs a business there or lives there and yeah. potentially go in for an investigation at some point. That would be really cool. Or at least do a little follow-up uh, to what might be going on now. Oh, that'd be so rad. Yeah. I would love to do that. That'd be fabulous. We'll get on that. <laughs> yeah. Let's get on that. Let's put that on our to-do <laughs> list. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Kim and I are actually really excited to announce something new that we're going to be working on. And we really appreciate all of our listeners that have been listening um, to a ghost, to subscribing to it and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, being a part of our Facebook group, our Instagram, please continue to do this with our new um, podcast. It's going to be called ghoulish tendencies because we Kim and I have yes. foolish tendencies. We do. Um, but we wanted to expand upon our topics that we cover. So yeah. instead of just talking about things that are local to Seattle or Washington, 
we wanted to be able to speak to the spooky things all over Mm -hmm. and not just the spooky things, but Kim's favorite things. Kim, what are your favorite things? Is it it murder most foul? Yes. The true crime. Kim, Kim loves her true crime. Uh, I, I, I do a lot of true crime. I get to do tours of true crime and teach about true crime. So anytime we get to talk about uh, not just murder. I mean, there's some some very interesting true crimes that are not murderous. <clears throat> but uh, uh, expanding our horizons a little bit because I think that you have all these great dark stories and some of them result in, in supernatural hauntings and some of them don't. And some of them, I I really enjoy getting into like urban legends too. And and some of the, especially when we're traveling, there's all these cool stories that pop up. Yeah. Squatch. Like Sasquatch. I'm just kidding. Bat Squatch. Oh, I've not, I haven't heard of that one. Oh, Bat Squatch is delightful. We'll have to talk about Bat Squatch just because it's funny. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we are very excited about this. And, and we hope that yeah, it's going to be the same kind of vibe that yeah. we're giving off here. It's just sometimes we're going to talk about things having to do with our group, and sometimes we won't talk about things having to do with our group. So you'll be able to get more exposure to a wider variety and plethora of the weird and creepy and spooky and true and crime. Things. Delightful. Yes. And I'm actually going to New Orleans in like a week. I think by the time that this comes out, I will have already. Yeah, I think gone. it'll be there and there and back. There probably. And back. <laughs> yep. Um, but we're really excited that the first couple episodes we're planning on doing on ghoulish tendencies will be based in the New Orleans vicinity. So stay tuned for more. It's going to be really fun, really cool. So it'll be launching in November. So you still have us for a couple more episodes um, of A Ghost Stories. But we'll be cross-posting some of the episodes uh, that are applicable to A Ghost. Yep, absolutely. And so that way we still are tied to it, but we'll be having a wider uh, variety of things to talk about. Yeah. So having said that, um, for more information about a ghost, please visit a ghost.org. Mm-hmm. Um, for more information on the tours that Kim does at Spooked in Seattle, whether it's true crime or haunted tours, um, visit spookedinseattle.com. Follow us on Instagram at a ghost stories and say hi. We're also Yay. on Facebook as a Ghost okay. Stories podcast. Okay. If you have any paranormal stories that you want us to read on a future episode, please email us your story at a ghost stories podcast at gmail.com. Also, please subscribe and or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're, we're everywhere. <laughs> you cannot escape us. We are everywhere. I mean, might you can, try. But well, that's true. We'll haunt your but, dreams. But why, why would you? You don't want to escape because you love no. the stories. So give us a five-star review. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Um, but yeah. So thanks for listening. And... Uh, Stay spooky, Seattle!